John, and we come to the end of chapter 4, uh, and John records for us a miracle that Jesus did, and he records this for us for, for one, because he wants to reveal to us, he wants to show us the glory of Jesus. He wants to peel back the layers, and he wants to, to show us uh, his divine attributes, his, his miraculous powers, but not just so that we could see him, not just so that he could be revealed, but so that we could believe. We could believe that Jesus is the Son of God. This is the whole purpose of the writings of John, a miraculous story for sure that we come to, but it is primarily a story about belief. It is about belief. For the last couple of weeks, we've looked at the story about Jesus and the woman at the well, and that Jesus is traveling from uh, Jerusalem down here in the south. Uh, He's going through Samaria to get to this area of Galilee. And he stops in Samaria at the well. He talks to the woman. Uh, and uh, she says, we're waiting for the Messiah. He says, I who speak to you am he. And she goes to the town. She probably tells everybody that she can see, uh, and they go out to meet Jesus, and they talk with Jesus, and it says that they believed. Verse 39 of chapter 4, it says, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, They asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there for two days, and many more, and here's the word again, believed because of his word. Believe. John uses this word about a hundred times in his gospel. This is the purpose of his writings. It is the, the centerpiece. It is the focal point of the entire gospel message, faith, belief, trust, And the object of that saving faith is the Lord Jesus Christ. We find it in John chapter 1, verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. John 3, 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed In the name of the only Son of God, John chapter 6, verse 27, Jesus is telling the people, don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent, becoming children of God by believing, have eternal life by believing, accomplishing the work of God by believing. It is not possible for me to over-communicate the significance and the importance of what we're talking about this morning. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to get in with, uh, start with verse 43. Jesus, we are, we're grateful to be here. We're grateful to be a part of your church, part of your people. We're grateful that you are here with us, and we welcome your presence because we know that you're just not a spectator. You're just not, you're not hanging out, but you're here to teach us. You're here to lead us. You're here to soften our hearts and, and open up our minds, and so we pray that we do that. If any of us are here not for those reasons, we pray that you change that too. We're dependent on you to teach us, and we want to learn from you so that we can walk in your ways and, and, and know who you are better Reveal yourself to us this morning as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So verse 43, after spending about two days in Samaria, Jesus travels on and he goes to the region of Galilee. And then it says, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. That seems strange, right? A prophet is without honor in his own hometown, but when he got there, they welcomed him? But look at why they welcomed him. It says that they had been at the feast in Jerusalem. This was the Passover. Everyone in the north would have been down in Jerusalem for the Passover, and they had they'd all seen the signs and the wonders and the miraculous things that Jesus was doing. This was back in John chapter 2. Remember this? Verse 23, now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But, do you remember this? But Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man for he himself knew what was in man. He didn't trust their belief because he knew all about people. He knows each of their hearts It was a superficial belief. And so when he gets to Galilee, he finds the same thing. They welcomed him because of what they saw him doing in Jerusalem. They welcomed him as a miracle worker. Ah, Jesus, yes, he's back in town. Right? I wonder what kind of miracles he's going to be doing. I hope he does a miracle for me. I hope he does a miracle for my family. Ah, Jesus, whatever you're going to do and whatever you're going to show us, it's most welcomed here. See, it was a welcome that looked for and hoped for more miracles and works and what Jesus could show them and do for them. And in the midst of the crowds and the welcoming and the looking for more miracles, it says that an official from Capernaum shows up looking for Jesus. That word official can be translated as nobleman or more literally as king's man or an officer in the service of a king, and there was only one king in that region back then. It was Herod Antipas. Not a good dude. Uh, He married his brother's wife. He had John the Baptist beheaded. And here's this man from Capernaum who is most likely somehow in the service of King Herod, and he comes to Jesus. Capernaum is about 16 miles from Cana. And this official, this, this nobleman who is in Capernaum, He hears that Jesus is in Cana, and he makes the decision to travel the 16 miles or so to get to Cana because he's got a problem. He's desperate. He has a sick child, and his son is at the point of death. And the official believes, he believes that Jesus can heal him. He believes in the miracles of Jesus. Actually, it would be It would be crazy not to believe in the miracles of Jesus. Thousands of people were seeing and experiencing firsthand the miracles of Jesus. They were seeing people who were lame from birth. They were walking. People who were blind from birth, they were were seeing. People with leprosy were being cured miraculously. Water into wine. It would be insane not to believe that Jesus could perform miracles. Even Nicodemus, who was a religious leader, he came to Jesus at night. Remember this? He says, nobody could do what you're doing unless they were from God. The official was desperate. His son was at the point of death. And so when he heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him. He went to Jesus. And it says that he asked also translated, implore. 
The word that John uses here, it means he came to Jesus and he begged. And he continued to beg, Jesus, please, I'm desperate. Come to my house and heal my son. You you need to come to my house because I believe you can heal him, but I I think that you need to be there. I think you need to, like, see him. I I think that you need to be in close proximity to him, don't you? Like, don't you? You need to touch him. You need to diagnose what's wrong with him. So you need to come with me, and you need to come with me now because he's close to death. And notice there's there's nothing about salvation, right? He didn't come to Jesus uh, for his spiritual condition. He didn't come to Jesus asking, well, how can I be closer to God and, and, and receive salvation? That was strictly out of physical necessity. My son is sick, and I believe that you can help me. But when you think about it, there's nothing wrong with that, is it? Right? This is a good thing to believe that Jesus can do miraculous things and can help the helpless, even if that belief is only for the physical life and for the physical needs, it is a start. It's a start. It's a good place to begin, but it cannot be the finish line when it comes to faith because it is not true saving faith. It's a start. He's desperate, and he believes that Jesus can help. And he responds to this belief by going to Jesus for what Jesus can do for him and his family. This story is obviously not an isolated incident in history, right? This is not the first time a human being has ever gone to Jesus looking for what Jesus can do for them. I have known people in my own life who are interested in church or or interested in Jesus because they think that Jesus is going to fix everything in their life. Whatever pains me, whatever struggles I have, whatever job issues I have, whatever relationships I have, Jesus, help me fix those things. Anything to do, anything to do like financially, emotionally, anything that could help rescue them out of their circumstances, they say, Jesus, please, and they beg and they come to Jesus, I'm interested in what you have for me. Give me this. I need you. It's not easy, so God, help me. Man, the bills are due, and God, it's, it's not enough. So provide for that job. Provide that raise that I want. Help me win the lottery. Fill in the blank, whatever it may be. Pray to God to seek Jesus because of what we can get from him. This is the official. He's got a problem, and he's powerless to do anything about it. You think about this. He's a nobleman. He has a lot of resources at his disposal. He's got money enough to be able to afford any doctor that he finds, any medicine that the doctors might tell him is recommended, but nothing is working. And his son is getting more and more ill, and he seems to be fading and at the point of death. I mean, think about how excited that you would be if you've tried everything. And then you hear that Jesus is, is, is close. He's about 16 miles from your house. And so you go to him, and when you get there, there, there's a crowd, and you're walking through the crowd, and you're saying, like, where's the teacher, right? Have you seen Jesus of Nazareth? And when you find him, if it was me, I would fall on my knees, right, for my children. I would fall on my knees, and I would beg him, please, Jesus, I need you to come with me. I've tried everything. You're my last hope. I'm desperate for you. You ever feel like that? I felt that way 
two years ago, but it wasn't about my kids. It was about my own health. It was early in 2021, and I started to wake up with a tickle in my throat. Uh, and I would cough a little bit. Then it progressed, and pretty soon I was waking up, and I would, I would cough uncontrollably, and I'd have to go down. I was making, I was making tea, uh, putting a little bit of honey in it, a little bit of lemon, and then I would lay on the couch for a couple hours waiting for the coughing fit to pass, and sometimes it wouldn't. I would be up for the rest of the night. And then it got worse, and I was coughing during the daytime, and so finally, like, this is, it's not getting any better. I need to go to the doctor. I went to urgent care. They took an x-ray of my chest. They came in. They said, we talked to the doctor, looked at the x-ray, uh, and we are strongly recommending that you drive yourself to the ER. It could be pneumonia, or it could be something very serious with your heart. Okay. So I drove to the ER, and I sat, and I waited for a very long time. I had a, long, I had a lot of time to pray, and I remember telling Jesus, oh, Lord, I feel like I'm dying. I've, I feel like this is the end. I need you. I need your help. I need your healing. And then about after nine hours at the ER, then, uh, they, they told me, hey, it's good news. It's just bronchitis, uh, and here's some medicine and uh, go home, and I took it. I took the medication for, for 10 days, uh, and after 10 days, I started to feel better, but only about 80%. Only about 80% there, and then it was reoccurring. Then it came back to bronchitis again, and at three different times, it was bronchitis in the span of several months. It come to find out it was, a, it was an allergy to dust, right? That's the craziest thing, but it took me eight months to figure that out. And this was back in 2021. This was COVID and masks and, and, and coughing in public was not a cool thing, right? And every, every meeting that I would go to with you guys, I would just be like, please, Jesus, make it so that I don't cough. Every single time that I would preach, I'd just be like, oh, please, up in my office, like, Jesus, please make it so that I don't cough. But give me healing. I don't want this to be a distraction. Every time I would start getting ready for bed, oh, man. Jesus, please, I need sleep. I need you to give me sleep. And every night I would wake up coughing and I would lay there sleepless and I would, I would pray to God, God, I've taken all the right supplements. I've drank all the right teas. I went to all the doctors. I took all the medication. I'm desperate for you. I'm desperate for your help. This is the official. Please come to my house and heal my son before he dies. And in response to this man's desperation, Jesus replies to the official, and he says to him, and he says to the whole crowd, you, plural, you all, right? Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. This is what the people have been saying. Show us a sign from heaven. Give us signs so that we can believe. Compare this with what just happened in Samaria. Verse 41, and many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you say that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know, this is true faith, we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. The what? The, the miracle worker of the world? The amazing teacher of the world? No. The Savior of the world. And then he comes to Galilee, to his own people. 
And it appears that maybe this official illustrates the problem that all have. Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Now, when he's saying this, he, he's not minimizing his miracles. What he's saying is he's, he's saying, stop, stop looking so much at the miracle and, and look at more of the source. Stop emphasizing the miracle and emphasize the source of the miracle and why those miracles and the intent of those things, which would be the purpose of the gospel of John. These are written so that you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have what? That you may experience miraculous healing, so that by healing that you may experience wealth and and comfort, that by believing you maybe experience an abundance of, of earthly provisions. No, that by believing you may have life in his name, life. See, more is required from the Galileans. More is required from his own people. More is required from this official than just their belief in what Jesus can do for them in this life. Heal us from our ailments. Save us from our enemy, Rome. Their faith, our faith, our belief is to grow beyond just belief in what God can do for us in this life. But believe in the person of Jesus as the Son of God, risen from the dead, Savior of the world so that we might have life. But the official, who is desperate for help, and he's convinced that Jesus could help his son, he replies to Jesus with exactly the same thing. Again, he pleads the same thing. Come down to my house, please, before my son dies. And Jesus, he responds to the official. And the only thing that Jesus gives him, I love this, the only thing that Jesus gives him at that moment is his words. That's it. He speaks. And he tells him, go, your son will live. And when you think about it, that's both a no and a yes answer. The official wants Jesus to go back to his house with him. He says, no, you go. But he does say yes to healing his son. Notice, though, there was no visible sign of this at first. At first, there was nothing to be seen, only the words of Jesus. The words of Jesus, your son will live. And the official, it says, believe the words of Jesus. That's verse 50. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. It doesn't say that he asked for some kind of proof, right? Show me something. Give me some kind of evidence so that I know that is to be true so that I can go on my way. No, he believed the words of Jesus. His faith grew. How? I don't know. Maybe he thought back to all the what he'd heard about the miracles of Jesus, or maybe he witnessed it himself, we don't know. But we do know is that he was standing in front of Jesus. He was looking at the face of Jesus. He was, he was talking to him and, and hearing his words. He undoubtedly felt the, the intense love of God with the way that Jesus looked at him and the way that he talked with him. Nobody talked like Jesus did, not only with such amazing wisdom, but with such a love that was so deep and wide. So the official, he, he sees Jesus, and he, he hears Jesus, and he recalls, and he, he remembers. He believes that Jesus, what Jesus can do. It says that he believed the words of Jesus, and his faith grew. And because he believed what Jesus said, he started traveling back home. He went on his way. 
So he responds. See, he, he exercises that growth, and he leaves, and he goes back to his house by faith in the words of God. And on his way there, his servants come out to meet him, and they tell him, good news, master, your son is well. Your son literally is full of life. And the official is like, you got to tell me. You got to tell me, what time was it when my son started to feel better? Because he's thinking, man, it was, it was about 1 o'clock in the afternoon yesterday that, that Jesus told me this. It's not possible, is it? It couldn't be, could it? He just spoke a few words. He's 16 miles away. And the servant said, it was one (laughs) o'clock. Do you think at that point that the official's faith grew? See, at first he believed that Jesus is a miracle worker. It has to start somewhere. For us to go to Jesus and, and to seek him. But Jesus calls for more. The little bit of faith that he had, that the official had, it, it, he responded to it. And he went to find Jesus. The little bit that he had, it, it moved him to, to get up and go find Jesus. And in his desperation, he humbled himself and he fell on his knees and he pleaded and he begged with Jesus. But Jesus is drawing his faith, our faith, into something more. And so the only thing that he gave him at 1 o'clock yesterday was his words. And as his faith grew to believe in the words of Jesus, he responded to this faith and he started on his journey back home with only holding on to the words of Jesus. I mean, do you think that it's more than a coincidence that he knew what time it was that Jesus said those words? Do you think that it's more than a coincidence that the servants knew exactly what time that his son was was healed? Do you think it's more than coincidental that John records this story for us and gives us the details of one o'clock? He believed in the works of Jesus, and then he believed in the words of Jesus, but Jesus is drawing him deeper into true belief, growing his face so that he no longer would just seek out Jesus for how he could help him, but to seek him and go to him for him, for who he is, not just what he can do or what he says, but to believe that everything that we need and that we are desperate for in this life and the next is found in him, to believe in the person of Jesus, that he is everything that we need for this life and the life to come. Verse 53, the father knew that this was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed. He himself believed in all his household. See, from believing something about Jesus to believing in Jesus, true, saving faith. So this story, it, it paints such a great picture then of how Jesus is always growing our faith too, right? from just believing things about him to trusting him more and more for the things that he can provide and everything that we need as him, as the son of God and the savior of the world. Just like the official, it has to start somewhere. We need to, first of all, Understand that we are desperate, that we are dependent, and we begin to seek out Jesus, and so we go to Jesus 
This is how our faith grows. This is how we begin to, to, to move in the direction of believing in the person of Jesus as we go to him. Two chapters later in John chapter 6, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. See, he's speaking spiritually. Inside our souls, we have a craving and a hunger and a thirst. And if you've never believed that Jesus is that living water for your soul, if you've never believed that he is living bread for the hunger that is in you, if you've never believed that Jesus came to this earth, went to the cross, died on that cross for your sin and for mine, to pay the price for our sins that we could never pay. If you've never believed that then after three days he rose from the dead and that he is a living savior of the world, you can go to him. It is only by him that we have eternal life and salvation. He offers eternal life through him by believing. And he has the power to do this. Only God has the power of salvation. This is not according to our power. It's not according to our works. Romans 1.16 says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. The gospel is the good news of eternal life through Jesus. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. You can go to Jesus and believe in the person of Jesus. Or maybe you have believed, but you're feeling desperate, you're feeling frantic, you're feeling fearful or stressed or anxious, then you can go to him and you can ask him for help. You can plead with him and implore him. He knows your real need. He knows what satisfies your soul and how to satisfy it. He knows not just your physical needs, but the needs of our souls as well. And he's working and he's calling and he's growing our faith to believe and trust that he can provide in every way that he has promised for this life and the next. So we can go to him. We can go to him as the source. We can go to him as, as living water. We go to him as savior of the world. And when we get to him, we believe the words of Jesus. See, just like the official, do we always know what our greatest need is? Do we always know the right thing to ask Jesus? No. But that doesn't prevent him from helping us with the right thing. That doesn't prevent him from telling us exactly what we need to hear. Jesus knew what this man and his son and his whole family truly needed. And he spoke the words to draw him into that. And he revealed to him a greater need than what that official was asking for for them to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing he and his son and his whole household could have life. Jesus speaks to us today. I mean, this is where faith comes from. Romans 10, 17 says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Faith comes from him and what he speaks and we have his words recorded for us in the Bible. We have his spirit. We're a follower of Jesus. We have his spirit who speaks to us the words of Christ. When's the last time we listened? When's the last time we silenced the voice of this world? 
When's the last time we, we tuned out the lies of the enemy? Or even to take our own voice and opinions and silence the voice that is in our head and go to Jesus and listen to him, to sit at his feet and listen to his words. Today's a good day to do that because his word reveals more to us of who he is. And this is so important because this is so ultimately important because we are led to believe in him, the person of Jesus, and his word reveals that to us. John says in chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. John says at the end of our passage in verse 54, he says this is the second sign that Jesus did when he'd come from Judea to Galilee, and it was recorded for us. It was recorded for us so that we too could see his glory. And be reminded again of who Jesus is and believe in who he is, to believe in the person of Jesus. And who is he? Well, first of all, think about how he healed the official son. He just spoke. He just said a few words with a thought, with words. He didn't need to see the son either. He didn't need to be in close proximity. He didn't need to be in his room. He didn't need to do a blood test to to see what kind of illness that he had. He did it from 16 miles away. And I love how specific John is. He gives us specific details. The fever left him at 1 o'clock yesterday, the same exact time that Jesus spoke those words. Jesus can heal immediately. And he is the same today for us. God taught me a lot during that season of bronchitis, the thing that he taught me the most, though, was my absolute and utter dependence on him. You know, because I'd be like, I'd be like, I'm coughing, Lord, and I need healing. I feel like I feel like the healing is long overdue, right? Like, I need, I need you now. I need, I need your healing now. And then the words of Jesus, in all of his grace, he'd say, son, what you need right now is me. I'd be like, yeah, but you know my day tomorrow. You know my schedule. You know, you know all the things I got to do tomorrow. I, I need sleep. Jesus, please give me sleep. And then the words of Jesus, and he'd say, what you need tomorrow is me. I'd be like, yeah, but l- look at me, Lord. I'm a wreck, right? I'm weak, and I'm, I'm pathetic. I'm just like, I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm wasting away. And I, I, I've tried everything. I've tried all the right teas and doctors and medicine. I've done everything. I've looked for everything. And then Jesus, his words would come to me, and he would say, my grace is sufficient for you. I'm enough. I am more than enough for everything that you need. Listen to how Jesus is described in Colossians 1. For by him all things were created, and in him all things hold together. 
John 1, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Hebrews 1, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Do we have physical needs? Yes, we do, and Jesus knows every single one of them. He made us. He made everything. And Jesus knows how and when and in which way to provide those things for us. He holds all things together in this universe. Do we have spiritual needs? Absolutely. Our souls are not just dependent. Our souls are desperate for something outside of ourselves, for who we are on the inside, for something to make our lives meaningful, for for something to make our lives to feel contentment for something outside of ourselves so that we can experience things like joy and peace and satisfaction and salvation. Just like we don't provide for our own physical needs. We don't don't generate our own water. We don't generate our own oxygen. We don't generate our own nutrients. So we don't manufacture inside of ourselves the things that our souls are so desperate for. And so we look, don't we? This is the human condition. We have needs and so we look We look around for something. We desire peace in this life, and we know that it doesn't exist in here, and so we look for it out there. We want to feel at peace, and so we look for something that would give us that. We're desperate for hope. And I'm not talking about just hope for tomorrow or hope for next year or hope for our vacation. I'm talking about what's going to happen to me when I die. What's going to happen to my loved ones when they die? We are desperate for assurances. And we know we don't have the answers in here. And so we look for anything. We look for for something. But it is not something that we're looking for. All our needs are met by someone. Psalm 107.9 says this, For he, he satisfies the longing soul. And the hungry soul, he fills with good things. Our souls are hungry, and they are longing, and it's not something that we're looking for. It's someone. Nothing else but Jesus can satisfy every need of our souls. And he calls us to look to him and to believe him for that, to believe that he is the greatest treasure, to believe that he is the only master, the only Lord, the only one who has the words of life. And so where else are we going to go? Where else are we going to go for what our souls are desperate for? Because it's in his presence there's fullness of joy. He is the God of peace. He is the God of encouragement of life, of healing, of wisdom, of truth. He is the God that sees me. And it's full of love and compassion and goodness. He is the God of provision. And he's always faithful, always true to his word. See, to believe in the person of Jesus is to believe that he is that for us. And if you feel like we probably all feel in this room, that that seems very difficult to do, right? That, that maybe we don't have it in us to be able to believe and to trust him that way. That's okay because we need him for that too. Lord, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. We can admit our dependence on him. 
that we are, we're desperate for what he offers, that we can admit that we're even desperate to want what he offers. And when you go to him, you will find that first and foremost what he offers is himself. And with him will be all of his blessing and his salvation and his life and forgiveness and joy and peace and hope. And the more we experience him and that relationship of trust and love with him, the more our faith will grow. So trust him with the little bit of trust that you have or trust him with the lot of trust that you may have. Either way, you'll find that he has so much more for you than you possibly could imagine. And as you experience more of who he is, you will believe in him and trust him more. There's a quote by a guy named John Bunyan. He was a writer and a Puritan preacher during the 1600s. And in talking about coming to Jesus, he says this, I was driven to such straits, old, old school word for, uh, word for desperation. I was driven to such desperation that I must of necessity go to Jesus. And if he had met me with a drawn sword in his hand, I would sooner have thrown myself upon the edge of his sword than have gone away from him. For I knew him to be my last hope. I knew him to be my last hope. And so if he had a sword drawn, I would rather throw myself on that sword rather than go away from him. But he doesn't meet us with a drawn sword, does he? He meets us with healing. He brings salvation for our souls. He brings everything that a hungry and thirsty and desperate soul needs. We can go to him, go to him, and he will satisfy your every need because there is nothing and no one else for us to go to. It's not this world or anything in this, what, what this world has to offer. We're desperate for him, so don't be distracted by this world. He is the one that fills our hungry soul with good things. Don't be duped by what this world has to offer. Resist the enticement of sin in your life. It wants to lie to you and lure you into believing that it offers something that God is withholding. No. No. Jesus is our last and only hope for this life and the next. May our faith grow to believe that and to trust him for it. Jesus, we, we are a needy people. We're hungry and thirsty, and we're desperate for water and food. We're desperate for, for hydration and nutrients in our soul. And we look, Lord, we look so many places Forgive us of that. Will you turn our eyes to you? We direct our attention and soften our heart to who you are. Will you reveal more of who you are to us? Tune our minds and our hearts to your word because in there it reveals who you are. We want, we want to learn who you are more and more. Reveal us your glory, Lord because we want to fall more in love with you and we want to fall more in trust with you. We want to look to you for our every need and we need you for that too.
So show us, Lord. Show us how desperate actually we are. Show us what a distraction and what a lie this world is trying to offer us. And tune our eyes to look to you to see all of our needs met both physically and spiritually for this life and the next. In Jesus' name we pray.